Let's open our Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to read right off. We're going to get to that in, in just a few moments. And that's, that's going to be where we're going to start. And we're going to go uh, some other places uh, in an effort to, to understand what it is that we're going to be looking at today. Remember, as, as the history of the Thessalonians, they were just... They were just kind of hanging out, waiting for the return of the Lord. Because Paul said it was going to be when? Soon. Randy said it's going to be when? Soon. Not, not that Paul and Randy are, are... We're on the same level with that thing. It's going to be soon. But So they took it as soon as like, yeah, next week. You know, so they're just kind of waiting around. And, and that's... Paul is going to write to them about some particular issues that were very important because they were, they were not doing what they were supposed to do. They weren't living out the gospel of Christ. They were saying, hey, we're, we're believers and now we're just going to cool our jets and wait for Christ's return. So Paul has some words for them. So let me pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we ask your hand upon us as, as we read your word, as we dig into it, as we see how it is we are called to live and how our lives should look as believers in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now there's something that sets us apart uh, as believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, We are not the same as those who do not believe in Christ. We have been changed. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Uh, We've taken off the old. We put on the new. And for the past few weeks, we've been looking at our union with Christ. And I thought, well, we kind of end, we'll kind of wrap this up with, well, what are some of the traits that Christians should demonstrate? If we are different than the world around us, well, how is it that we should live? Uh, How should our lives look? Well, you can, uh, of course, there's, there's, uh, you go to a list of traits, and there, there are plenty of traits that the Christians should demonstrate. You can go to the fruit of the Spirit and see those nine, and, and those are present within each believer. But then man starts to create lists on his own. I got one list that was 66 traits long, and, and I thought, I'm in trouble. Man, I, I can't remember, I can hardly remember the nine you know, let alone 66, that's a lot to keep track of. So I thought, well, do I keep those on a regular basis? Well, well, probably not, probably not. But the only way to really develop character, the only way to develop and, and put into practice the traits that we are called to live is to put them into practice and to live them out. Character is not built in the classroom. The classroom is for learning and understanding, but character is built in the application of those things that we learned. It's in the circumstances of life that character is built. So the classroom Bible study gives us a place to identify the characteristics and the qualities and teach us how that character is developed, but we have to go out into the real world and live these things out. And sometimes we live them out pretty well, and sometimes we live them out not so well. Not so well. But God builds character in our our lives by allowing us to experience situations where we're tempted to do the exact opposite of what he wants us to do. Uh, Here we are. Is is Randy's character fully developed? Well, certainly not. Is it more developed than it was 10 years ago? I certainly hope so. 
Uh, how is that possible? Because of trial and error, because of, as we'll see, because of hard work. Okay, you don't develop character, you don't develop Christian traits by sitting around waiting for the return of the Lord and doing nothing. That's one of the things he talks about with the Thessalonians. Now, the very word Christian means Christ-like. So if our goal is to be more like Christ in our daily lives, then we have to work to make sure that our character demonstrates that, that the way that we live, that the substance of our life is more Christ-like and less Randy-like, as an example. Now, the word Christian was first put into common use uh, in Antioch in Acts chapter 11, back in Syria, according to Luke. And it was the nickname that followers of Christ were given by the pagans around them. Now, understand, Christians did not come up with the name. Well, what are we? Well, we're Christ-like. No, it was the pagans that named the Christians. Now, it may have been kind of uh, satirical because there was always this group that followed the emperor around to town to town, and they were like the cheerleaders of the, for the emperor. So whenever the emperor would show up in a town, they would be uh, drumming up the crowd and cheering as the emperor went by. So it might have been first kind of ironic or sarcastic that you're just cheering for this God that you don't see, like the the guys who do it for the emperor. But after a while, the pagans began to see that there was something different in those who followed Christ, Uh, that it was the character of their lives as they sought to live out the things that Christ had lived. So believers were called Christians by unbelievers because they saw something different in their lives. They were followers of Christ, or they were of the household of Christ. They found something worthy in their lives to hang that moniker on. And the main characteristic of followers of Christ at that time was that they were following the life and the teaching and the example of Christ, because this is still the first century, not long after Christ had been crucified and then rose and ascended. So the primary characteristic of a Christian is not just the way that we live it out. Okay? The primary characteristic of a Christian is an internal change that manifests itself in an external demonstration. Okay? If you're truly changed on the inside, you will live it on the outside. That's just basic and simple. So the first characteristic of a Christian is that the Holy Spirit abides, abides within us. The Holy Spirit abides within us. And of course, that is, I'm sure you realize that's something you can't see. Where's the Holy Spirit living in Randy? You can see evidences of the Holy Spirit living within Randy, I hope. This is why many people who become Christians see their former friends kind of fade away. They see their former friends no longer interested in being with them any longer because there is something different about them. They have changed. There is something that that perhaps the pagan world does not understand, certainly the presence of the Holy Spirit. But why is your life different? Why aren't you like you were before? Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Nicholas Herman, who was commonly known as Brother Lawrence, was a simple dishwasher in the place where he lived. And he said he did those dishes for the glory of God. And he said when, it was, when he was through with his humble work, he would fall flat down on the floor and worship God. Whatever he was told to do, he did it for the glory of God. He said, I wouldn't as much pick up a straw from the floor, but I did it for the glory of God. 
Now, that is enabled by the presence of the Holy Spirit within your life to do everything that you do for the glory of God. Gee, it sounds even scriptural, doesn't it? Whether you uh, eat or drink, you do what? Do it all for the glory of God. And now, a Christian isn't somebody who just does good things. You know, follows the rules, keeps their toes on the line, crosses your T's and dots your I's. And then the Holy Spirit comes because we're such good people. No, Christ died while we were still sinners. Okay, he didn't wait for us to get cleaned up. It is while we are sinners that Christ comes and he changes our life and the Holy Spirit is put within our life and now we're to work those things out on a daily basis putting into practice what we learn from scripture in the in in the uh, the in a sense the laboratory of real life how do these things apply in real life so that takes us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 And we'll just, we're just going to read two verses here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul starts off with a great word, finally. As if this was the end of, of what he had to say. But really, Paul goes on for quite a while after that. And then writes another letter to the Thessalonians. And this is kind of classic Paul. He does this on a regular basis. Where he'll, he'll give a lot of, in a sense, classroom work. He'll give a lot of the doctrine underneath about what he's about to teach. So he gives the doctrine before this, and then chapter 4 he says, Finally, then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord. So he's saying, I've given you the head knowledge of what I want you to understand. Now I'm going to exhort you to live it out. We see this in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. Great section of doctrine and teaching. And then he gets to chapter 4 and he says, Therefore, this is how you're going to live it out. And then he gives us three chapters of how to live it out. This is the way your life should look. If you look at the book of Romans, 1, 2, 3, all the way up through chapter 11 is all this great doctrine. And he teaches us, these are the things of Christ. You, you are no longer bound by the chains of sin. You're bound by the things of the Spirit. You're unable to live this way. And, and he goes on and on and on. And then he gets to chapter 12. And the first word in chapter 12 is, therefore. Okay? Therefore. Do what? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay? Here is what I have taught you. And because of all that I've taught you, therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Each and every day, you are to live out the things that I've taught you in a practical fashion. So here we have, finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God. So you've given the the instruction. Just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. Okay? That you might take what you have been instructed with and that you might put it to work more and live out the things of Christ to even a greater degree than what you have done before. Now, this is not an effort um, 
by Paul to say to the Thessalonians, no, you, you've got to please God and you really better get on board and start living like it or he's not going to be pleased with you and maybe he's going to change his mind about saving you. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying that when you live out what you know to be true according to God and his word, it is pleasing to God. It is pleasing to God. Now remember the movie Chariots of Fire. And you have Eric Liddell and his sister Jenny. And in the movie, Jenny didn't like his, his uh, competitive racing. Okay? But in real life, she didn't have a problem with it. But the movie, they needed a foil. Uh, so they made her the, the bad guy, so to speak. Oh, you shouldn't run. You should just go do ministry. But he says what? Jenny, when I run, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I feel his pleasure. So what's going on here? Well, the same thing that Paul is exhorting the Thessalonians to do. When you live out the things I have taught you, the things of Christ, and you live lives that are pleasing to God, you will feel his good pleasure. You will feel the good pleasure of our Heavenly Father. He loves to be pleased in you pleasing him. He takes great pleasure in seeing the people of Christ, those whom he has chosen, living out the things he has taught them. Do you remember the words of our Heavenly Father to Jesus when he was baptized? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Whom I am well pleased. The Father is expressing his pleasure in his son. And later the gospel says, what? He, Jesus loves to please the Father. He loves to please the Father. There are many people who have relationships in, in the world, whether it's with your husband or your, your wife or your parents or your children, where it doesn't matter how hard you work, they just are not happy. They're just not pleased with you. But see, when we do the things that our Father calls us to do, He is pleased to that, and, and, and that is communicated to us. That is communicated to us. Paul is talking about a joy of seeking the pleasure in the one who delights for us to be pleased in him. Who delights in us to be pleased in him. I mean, wouldn't you like to hear the words from somebody you love? You, you look at them and say, what can I do to make you happy? And, and the best response would be, just keep breathing. I take such great joy in your presence in my life. I just want you here. You don't have to perform. You don't have to achieve. All I want is you to be here with me. That's how our Heavenly Father is. He loves to delight in his children. He is pleased with his children. And when he, is, he sees them seeking to love one another and serve and seeking to do his will, he takes pleasure in that. Let's go over to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 5. And 5 through 11 is the great Christ hymn. So it kind of sets up what we're going to be talking about here in just a second. Remember the... The church at Philippi, these are Paul's favorite people. He just loves these people. They're his joy and his crown. 
And, and when he writes, he is writing to almost family. Um, and, and he wants to encourage them to greater faithfulness and teach them the, thing, the deep things of Christ. So here in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And then the next word, New American Standard, says, so then. If you have your own, another translation, that word might be, therefore. Okay, because of what Christ has done, because of the example he has set, therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean that, that, that I have to work at it every day with fear and trembling? That, that I might not work hard enough? That God might reject me at some point? No. Once he has saved you, he has saved you. This is the working out of the application in everyday life that he's talking about here. So that's the first aspect of this is work. So the first, in a sense, the first um, trait of the Christian is that the Christian will work. What will he work on? He will work on his salvation on a regular basis. Work out your salvation, for it is God who does what? Works within us. Okay? Does God work within me while I'm in my lazy boy just saying, okay, God, come and work in me? No. He wants me out in the world working out my salvation. Come, fill your mind here in Scripture. Learn the things in the classroom. Now go and apply it in daily life. Because a Christian life that is not lived out is not much of a Christian life. It is not much of a Christian life. We work for his good pleasure. Work is a product. It's the fruit of understanding the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and, and Paul says maybe another word for work would be obedience. Live out in obedience the things of Christ. You've always obeyed in the past. You're going to continue to obey in the future. But work is what? Those of you who were in the DR shoveling sand and shoveling stone, when it's 95 degrees and 95% humidity, humidity, work is what? Hard. Okay, it is hard. And, and I don't find anywhere in Scripture where we can arrive at holiness by not doing anything. Yes, we're saved by the work of Christ. But to grow in holiness, to arrive at a greater level of understanding of Christ, a greater level of holiness requires work. There's no just sitting there in a biosmosis, it's going to happen, and one day you're going to come out of the house after 20 years of doing nothing in your spiritual life and suddenly be this great spiritual giant. It's just not going to happen. It comes through work, day in and day out. The pursuit of holiness is not an effortless endeavor. It is not an effortless endeavor. It is hard work. So the first thing to say 
about a clear grasp of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to live it out takes work. J.C. Ryle, a, a good theologian, says this. A man who professes to be a true Christian, while he sits still, content with a very low degree of sanctification, if indeed he has any at all, and coolly tells you he can do nothing, he is a very pitiable sight and a very ignorant man. Against this delusion, let us watch and be on our guard. The word of God always addresses its precepts to believers as accountable, responsible beings. If the Savior of sinners gives us renewing grace and calls us by his Holy Spirit, we may be sure he expects us to use that grace and not just to sleep on it. Paul is seeking to awake you know, slumbering Christians who might be cruising, who might be cruising through life. You have to work at it. The second one, let's look at verse 14. Number one was work. This one is witness. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above, of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. So we're to do all things without grumbling, without complaining. We are to witness to the things of Christ through the way that we live. And one of the ways that we live, as Paul lays it out here, is this is the way holiness should look. It should not be one who complains and grumbles and is just a, uh, a um, Wendy Weiner. Okay, no, this is, this is the things of Christ. Christ lives within you. Grumbling and complaining are awfully easy to keep doing. Keeping our mouth closed and being patient and serving when things go wrong, that's hard to do, but that's a trait of the Christian. Notice Paul says, when we begin to do that, when we begin to put others before ourselves, when we humble ourselves in becoming obedient, look what happens. Verse 15, it says what? You may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach. And where does all this happen? In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We don't live these things out in just, you know, our good, happy Christian circle. These things are demonstrated and lived out and proved within us in the midst of a generation that does not believe the same things we do. Matthew 5 says what? You are the light of the world. Let your light shine, therefore, before men. Don't just let it shine in this room. You've got to let it shine out there, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. When you go to sporting events, it should shine in all those places. Holiness cannot be hidden from the world. It cannot be hidden from the world. Look at 16. Holding fast the word of life. This is part of the witness that we're looking at. Might be holding out the word of life, holding forth the word of life. So we hold forth the word of life. Not only do we hold fast to it, we hold fast to it, it keeps it here within us. That's the word of God, holding forth the word of life. 
It's our duty not only to hold it close to ourselves, but to hold it forth before everybody else. So it walks before us. It's like, it's like the candlestick holds forth the candle. And in a darkened world, how much light does it take to light the path? It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. So we have to ask ourselves, am I living in such a way that the people around me see the things of Christ? Am I holding forth the things of Christ? Or am I just holding fast for my own purposes? We have to work at it. We have to be witnesses to it. And then the last one, trade of the Christian, is we have to worship. We have to worship. Look at verse 16, 17, and 18. So we're holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Obviously, Paul's using an Old Testament image here about a drink offering. He says, my life is poured out like an offering before the Lord. I've poured into you as believers so that you might demonstrate the things that I have taught you, the things of Christ, in how you live, in how you live. He says, kind of this life of ministry given entirely for the good of the church of Jesus Christ and entirely for the worship of our Heavenly Father. This is what our lives should be. He wants our faith and our life to be so integrated that you cannot separate them, that they are, they are one and the same. When you see you as an individual, you see you as an individual believer, you as an individual Christian who is living that out in whatever stage and whatever area of life that you live in. You cannot only live out and worship God on Saturday or on Sunday. Worship has to be a lifestyle. We have to work about work out our salvation. We have to witness to the things of Christ. We have to worship all the time. You think, well, how do I worship all the time? We worship all the time by living our lives to the glory of our Heavenly Father. By reminding those around us who it is that we live for and whose grace inhabits our life. We are set apart. We are distinct people set apart for the purposes of God so that our whole lives are acts of worship before the Lord. Paul says here in conclusion, he says, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I do what? I rejoice. He says, I rejoice and I share my joy with all of you. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Paul is not unhappy that he's pouring out his life in the service of God. He's not unhappy that he is pouring out his life in worship of God. It is a joy for him to do it. It is a joy for him to pour his life here into the Philippians. And thereby pouring his life into us by what he has written, by what has been inspired by God. For us today, such a life is truly characteristic of the believer. This is what we're called to do. We work, we witness, we worship. 
filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are the key traits of the believer. So let's pray. Our great Lord, as as we come to your word, we're reminded of the type of life that you call us to live. And uh, this is a... This is not an easy life. Yes, there are great rewards and great joys that are here before us as believers. But it is not a life where we sit back and cruise and just take it in. It is a life of moving forward. It is a life of seeking you and the deeper things that we might grow in our faith and our knowledge and then live it out. Apply it. Demonstrate it. Willingly and joyfully pouring our lives into others, letting them know what it is that motivates us, what it is that has changed us, that you might use us, even us, these clay pots, these imperfect vessels, as the communicators and the vehicles of those who will take the message of Jesus Christ into this world. Lord, might the character of our lives reflect the change you have wrought within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.